This message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, if you open your Bibles or you can just take the sheet that I gave you, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through, uh, really through 19. Um, we want to preach this as much in context as we can. But to give you all the context, I would have to be here for a while. And one of the things that I want to do this morning is keep it pretty short. We realize that it's warm. We realize that you're in your car. We also realize that uh, some of you may not be able to see. So feel free that if you're in a place where you just, you parked, but then you can't quite see, you'd want to have a better vantage point. There are several places here down to, to what is my left where you could come and be very, very close. Um, so feel free to do that if you would like. If not, you can be right where you are. One of the most interesting discussions that I've had with men in discipleship groups, with Bible study groups, and it goes all the way back to seminary, is the Christian faith, is the Christian walk more of a, a matter of the mind or is it a matter of the heart? Essentially, we know that both are involved. That faith and obedience and following Christ and having relationship with Christ is a matter of the mind. It involves logic, but also it is a matter of the heart. He tells us to love Him. He calls us to love Him. Is faith more of uh, the essence of the mind, the essence of the heart, a combination of the two? Because one of the answers that you're going to get when you begin to answer that is also... What about disobedience? What about this challenge that sometimes when we don't want to follow strong, when temptation comes in our life, is temptation, is the lack of faith, is the lack of obedience, the lack of fellowship in the Christian life, is that more of a matter of the mind or is it a matter of the heart? And in seminary, we had this great debate. And I promise you, there are scripture verses, there are biblical examples that you can go back to say, and invalidate both of those. That very much it is a battle sometimes of logic. Uh, right and wrong. That we just believe this or we believe that. That this is correct or incorrect. And so sometimes the battle that we have in fellowship of Jesus Christ. Is a battle of our thinking. And the Bible speaks much of that. But it's also we can talk about that we wrestle sometimes in the heart. That it really does come down, not just to emotions, but it comes down to our affections. All of us love things. All of us hopefully love God. But we also love other things in this world. And so sometimes the Bible speaks about where our heart is, there's, there's our treasure. And when we put value on things that we would love greater than God, more affectionate than God, then we're going to have that battle going on again. Not so much in our mind at that point, but in our heart. Does that make sense? That the Christian life is uh, a Christian faith and following God is very much involving our mind that God gave us, but also what is represented by the heart, our affections. Why that is so important this morning is because when we get into a place of not wanting to follow, when we get to the place where sometimes we are wrestling with our faith, we're wrestling with obedience. We're wrestling with the Bible, perhaps even. In essence, wrestling with God. 
Sometimes that takes place in the mind, and other times it takes place in the heart. How would you personally answer that? Do you feel like more of your battles are logical battles? Or do you feel like more of your battles are essentially battles of your affections? That while you want to love God well, honestly, you just, you love a lot of other things too, and that, that those other loves sometimes draw you away from your love for God. Does that make sense? Because when we begin to really understand those battlefields of the mind and the heart, it allows us to see how do we then best live out this Christian life. See, the truth is, both of us struggle, wrestle in those areas of the mind and of the heart. Our commitment to Christ is one that affects both. The importance of this is to understand where spiritual warfare comes from. Where, who is the greatest foe as we begin to entertain spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare is something that every one of us have to deal with in our lives. And yet, it's not one of those subjects that we really talk out loud a lot about because I guess there's a point of embarrassment that there would be weaknesses in our life, that there's places in our lives that we're not having victory. But it's an important discussion to have today to understand that as we battle both in the mind and in the heart in spiritual warfare, that we do have some specific enemies. I think we could uh, kind of qualify that down to three things. The first one that comes to mind, our, our enemy, is Satan. And, and really, honestly, that's the easy go-to. That when we have difficulty in our life, especially in our obedience, especially in our desire to follow God and our commitment, that it's easy to say, well, you know, that's just Satan tempting me. That's Satan distracting me. He's an easy go-to when it comes to not living out the fullness of this commitment that we want to have for God. But there's two other foes. One is the very world that we live in. This world is a broken world. Would you agree with that this morning? That we live in a fallen and broken world? And so all around us is a fallenness. That doesn't mean that everything is broken. Doesn't mean that everything is fallen in the sense that there, God has redeemed certain things in this world and He certainly has redeemed us as believers in Christ. But we have a foe in Satan, but we also have a foe and that this world is not always going to be in agreement with the things of God. But here's our other foe, the third one, ourselves. You and I were born into sin. We were fallen and broken from the beginning. It's not something that developed into us as we matured and got older. From the very beginning, we had an orientation towards self. The mind was oriented towards self. And guess what? The heart was oriented towards self. And so spiritual warfare comes because of Satan, because we live in a broken world, and because we ourselves were born in this fallenness, this state of of sinfulness. And that's why we needed a rescuer. That's why we needed a savior. That's why we needed Jesus. So with all of that in mind, there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 6 that I want to address this morning to show the commitment that God has made to us to help us battle in the mind and in the heart. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. And now again, we've looked at passages in Hebrews uh, several times over the last several weeks. 
Hebrews is a lot, uh, is a book that's a lot about wrestling and wrestling with, you know, our faith and wrestling with following God and, uh, the people there that is being, that are being addressed in this book. They're thinking about going back to the old covenant, the old Jewish life before there was a redeemer. And so they're battling. They're battling the mind with the law. They're battling their heart because they still love God, but they just don't know how to do this new thing called Christianity. And so in Hebrews, the author is making the case that you can't go back to the old covenant, that it was insufficient to meet their needs. And it points to Jesus as the final sacrifice. Now, all of that is theology, and I realize that some people have a, a great appetite for theologies, others don't. But it's very practical. Because when we realize the case that the author of Hebrews is making, and we begin to look at the scripture this morning, we begin to see that God has done so much to help us in the battle of the mind and the battle of the heart. Look what the Bible says that God has done to help us. He made an oath to us. Look at verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly, where does convincing happen? Starts in the mind and then filters down to the heart. The, the affections change what we're convinced of in our mind. So, so the author says, okay, God desired to help us fight this battle of the mind to show us more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Now stop right there and think about that a second. An oath is something that we usually exchange between two parties to bring about an agreement. Uh, if you're married, you said vows. And in those vows, there was a commitment one to another. It wasn't because you're just suspecting parties. You just say, okay, you better be there for better, for worse, health or sickness. No, you said that because you wanted to show this commitment of the mind to convince them, but also so that it would create affection in their heart. But then sometimes these oaths are quite uh, contractual. They're quite uh, just black and white. When you bought a house, if you bought a house, if you bought your car... Uh, you had to, to pay money for it. Sometimes you signed a contract. And that contract was that they were going to allow you to have this house or they were going to allow you to have this car. And even though you didn't pay for it all, you had a contract that I will pay you and you'll let me keep the house. You'll help let, allow me to keep the car. And so sometimes oaths are given where we kind of, you may not have thought that when you signed on the line for your house, but you were making an oath. Now here's the thing, guys. Here, God is making an oath. Who is he making the oath to? By verse 17. Us. Do you get that? Do you get that creator God? Who created everything, who is Lord over all things? Made an oath? To you and to me? Does that seem out of place? I mean, it seems like we should be making an oath to God. Okay, God, since you loved us so much, God, since you saved us, since you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, Father, we make an oath to you. We want to live in commitment to you. Doesn't that make more sense? 
That somehow we're the ones that need to be making an oath toward God because he's the one that really is not at fault here. We're the ones that are at fault. We're the ones that struggle with our faith. And yet look what it says again in verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to help us in this battle of the mind to the heirs of the promise, that's us, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. And verse 18 tells us why. Look at verse 18. First two words. So that. The author now points us. He made this oath. Why? So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, here's the why, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So why did God make an oath to us? To convince us so that we would be encouraged, this strong encouragement to hold fast. Are are you grasping this? I mean, does this blow your mind? That the God of all creation would make an oath to you? And the main purpose of that is to convince you in your mind and your heart to be strengthened for the fight. Folks, the Christian life is not a life that you're trying to just see who can jump the highest and see if you can jump high enough for the approval of God. All the approval that God needed is found in the finished work of Christ. That doesn't mean, though, that we don't struggle in battles of the mind, that we don't wrestle with things in our heart and our mind. That we wrestle with, wrestle with the logic of some things. That we wrestle with our affections. I mean, wouldn't it be so easy if our minds thought nothing but Christ-like thoughts? You know, when the Bible says, think upon these things, things that are pure and lovely, and it goes on and lists all these things. Wouldn't it be great if you just woke up in the morning and that's all you ever thought about? Now, how many of you, by the honking of your horns, that perfectly describes every day of your life? That's what I thought. (laughs) That our mind drifts. Our mind wanders. Would you not like to have a heart where the only affection that it had were the affections of God and the things that God blesses? Certainly God blesses family. He's the one that created family. So it would be appropriate for us not to just have an affection for God, but to have an affection for our wife, our husband, to have an affection for our kids. God ordained those things. Those are good affections. But have you ever found yourself having affections for other things? Even things like security. Even things like, you know, just to make life comfortable. This is the struggle of the Christian, and God begins to address it, and he addresses it in Hebrews, and he says, look, as you struggle in the mind and the heart, I I want you to know that God has made an oath to you. And he's done this to convince you, number one, that the work is already done. But number two, so that you might have a hope to be able to hold fast. Folks, it's one thing to have family and friends to encourage you. And God uses people to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But please get this. It says here that the one and only God has made an oath that he will be faithful to his promises. 
There will never be one promise that God has made that He does not take seriously. There's not one promise that you will find that God has made in His Word that is not directed to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Oh, Bobby, is that just for the the Billy Grahams of the world that are just really good believers and, and God keeps His promises there? No, God keeps His promises to all of us that are found in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 19. He says, we have this. What's this? What is it that we have? This oath from God that his promises are true, that he does not lie, he does not deceive, that we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. This past week in the men's discipleship, the men began to talk about how do we take care of our soul. And here, one of the things that we see is that God addresses taking care of your soul. How does he address it? He says, okay, you put yourself into the promises of God. This is nothing new to you if you've been walking with Christ, but it is the challenge that we face every day. How do I rest? How do I find an anchor in this world full of wind, in this this world that wants me to drift left and right? How do I live out my faith? See, God is not all talk and no action. He goes on in verse 20 to tell us about how all this has been lived out in the work of Jesus Christ. I want you to realize, dear Christian, you already know this. This is not new, but this is something that we have to be ever reminded of. Every time you pick this up and read it, every time you pick up the Word of God and read it, it is His oath that He's making to you. It is a reminder of the oath and the commitment that God has made to you. When you read those promises, those promises are for you. They're personalized. It's as if God was standing before you, giving his oath to you. Bobby, are you sure that's that's what the scripture is saying? No, I'm, I'm sure that's what God is saying this morning. The battle of the mind... The battle of the heart, how do we, how do we win that? By going back to the promises of God. The anchor for our soul. By reminding ourselves time and time again, by looking in there and saying that when God made this promise right here, that it is a promise for me. Dear Christian, I realize this is not new theology. I realize this is not a new promise. This is not a new idea. I just want you to be strengthened for the fight. I want to be strengthened for the fight. One of the things that I hope that you've been able to do during this time of sheltering is spend more time in the Word of God. But here's what I've heard a couple people say. Pastor, I found out that time was not the problem. Pastor, what I found out, that my mind and my heart was the problem. Does that make sense? Because, folks, one thing that we've had for the last eight weeks is more unscheduled time than you probably had in the last eight years. Would you agree? And yet, I I don't say this to bring conviction to you, to condemn you in any way, but with this extra time, with this extra 
you know, ease and just having more time to sit around. Have we been in the Word of God more? Hopefully the answer to that is yes. And that part of the struggle was just finding time. And so now we have to discipline ourselves more and more to make sure that we have time. If the answer to that is, you know, Pastor, I've had more time in the last eight weeks than ever before, but I don't really, you know, kind of say that I've been in the Word of God more. The struggle is not the schedule. The struggle is the battle of the mind and the battle of the heart. That's why I want to encourage you this morning. That in that battle of the mind and in that battle of the heart, God says, I make an oath to you. I make a promise to you. And I've made it available to you every single moment of every single day. Bury yourself in this. For it is the anchor for your soul. And that's what connects the mind and the heart. Is our very soul. And that's why God addresses this in such a beautiful way. There's a story, I'll close with this. There's a story of a, a, a lady during World War II and her husband was off in Europe and he was fighting the battle. And um, while sometimes they would get, uh, she would get a letter once a week, there was a period of time that she did not get a letter for over two months, both because of the battle that was going on in Europe that her husband was involved in and because of the secrecy and, and just the intensity of the battle, there wasn't that communication. And during that time when she did not know if her husband was dead or alive, if he was well or not, she went back to the old letters that he had previously written, and she would get those out, and she would read those over and over. And in there she saw his expressions of love and concern and dedication to her. And, and the promises of, of I will be back and, and this is what we'll do when I get back. And that got her through. That was an anchor for her during that time when it seemingly was a time of silence in her life. Ultimately, the husband did return. And ultimately, he was able to live out all those promises and all those commitments that he had made for her. I want you to know that, that folks, in, in this time and every time, You want to win the battle of the mind? God, through His Holy Spirit, will illuminate His Word. You want to win the affections of your heart? You're going, you know, I I love God. I just, I wish I loved God more. I wish my affections weren't so divided. I, I promise you, this is what God has said. He said, you just count on my promises. I make an oath to you. Does it get more personal than that? That God has made an oath and a commitment to you and to me this morning to help us in this battle, to encourage us, and that he said he's done this so that we have an anchor, a strong anchor for our soul. That's my prayer for you as a church. It's my my prayer for me this morning that we would just understand what we have when we have the ability to open up the promises of God and how all these promises have now been made amen and yes in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. Father, I don't know that I can comprehend that you, mighty creator God, 
have made an oath to Bobby Linkus. Father, to make an oath to the world? I kind of get that. To make an oath to uh, the Billy Grahams of this world? I kind of get that. To make an oath to me? When my mind is divided, my heart and my affections are divided and torn? So, Father, I thank you that as I wrestle with my thoughts, as I wrestle with my affections, that you have put all the hope, not in my ability, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And now you've made that as an oath, as a promise. Father, help us to be found in your word every single day. Not as some chore, some checklist, but Father, so that we can win the battle of the mind and we can win the battle of the heart. We love you and we thank you, Father. As we ask all this in the hope that you provided, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.